So this morning, we are going to be in Esther chapter 8. We are making our way slowly through the book of Esther, and we are hopefully just one more week after this, um, and then we'll be done. Now, Esther has been a really good book as we've been working our way through it, and um, today we're going to focus on some different things. But um, one of the things that's neat about when, when you read the book of Esther is you see the characters grow and change and learn. Because hopefully, that's how we all are. We learn and change and grow. And we're different at the beginning of our story to the end of our story. Hopefully, we're different. Hopefully, we grow. Hopefully, we mature. Well, last week, we talked about Haman and how sin destroys. And how Haman, he had one thing. Well, he had two things on mind. In his mind, one was how awesome he is and how much he hated Mordecai. And, and he wanted nothing more than to see Mordecai and his whole race destroyed. And we saw at the end of that, where did that lead Haman? He got hanged on the very gallows that he wanted uh, to kill Mordecai on. And we see those, those turn of events, and we see the, um, almost what we see, the impossible happen. And the book could have ended there. However, it doesn't. Because the story doesn't end there. Today, we're going to be talking about how God blesses. How God blesses not just... Um, Esther and Mordecai, but even all the Jews that are there. And so many times, if, if we've read this book up until this point, do we see the Lord blessing the Jews at all? Do we even see really the Lord blessing Mordecai a whole lot? No, he serves the king. He's, he's one of his officials. Uh, but really the only good thing that's happened to Mordecai at this point was that he was paraded around town with Haman saying, this is who the king delights, you know, this is to be done to whom the king delights to honor. Um, but he's, he's had it tough. And even Esther, you know, growing up uh, an orphan, raised by her cousin, um, and then eventually becoming the queen. But even that whole process, we saw how disturbing and, and messy that that process is. Um, but the thing we learned, too, last week is that God is always in control. And even when our world may seem like it's out of control. Did, does your world ever seem like that? Your life ever just spinning out of control? We just, sometimes we just want to be in control of what happens to us. And we realize, hopefully we realize that, that we're not in control. But today, as we work our way through uh, chapter 8... To me, it's encouraging um, to see how God does bless his people. May not be how we see it, may not be how we ask, uh, but eventually he, he does. He takes care of us. So before we get into Acts, or I'm sorry, Acts, Esther chapter 8, uh, let's go ahead and just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, we just come before you this morning as we work our way through this next chapter. Lord, I just pray that you would give me clarity of mind. Lord, that I would speak your truth clearly, um, Lord, and just in an understanding way. 
Lord, I just pray for everyone here that everyone's mind would be focused on you and, and just what you have for us today. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us in a way that only you can. Lord, I pray that our lives would be changed in the positive way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see that in the beginning of this chapter, it starts with unrequested rewards. Unrequested rewards. Let's read verses 1 and 2 of Esther chapter 8. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. So what were the two rewards? What did Esther get? She got Haman's house, his household. Now, did she ask for that? No, she asked for, the, for her life and for the life of, of her kinsmen, life of the Jews. And yet she got Haman's, all of his, his wealth and, and possessions. And what did Mordecai get? He got Haman's position, right? He got his job. Did, did Mordecai ask for a new job? No, he seemed to be content with where he was at. Even after he was paraded around town, what did he do? He went back to the king's gate. He went back to work. And here, because of their faithfulness, God blessed them with things that they didn't ask for. Have you ever received a blessing that you never asked for? Yeah, and it's, it, if you've ever gotten a gift that you've never asked for, it's exciting. It's, it's encouraging. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel like somebody maybe cares about you when they give you something that, that you don't ask for, or maybe something you don't even deserve. But here we see the, the day that all this takes place. Um, we also see here that Esther told the king, hey, let me tell you now who Mordecai is to me. Not only is he my cousin, but he raised me. And that must have made an impression on the king. Because the king said, you know what? I'm going to give him, make him second in command. Because was Xerxes, was he favorable to Esther? Did he like her? He liked her in so many ways. She stood out to him. I mean, even the fact that she approached him uh, when he didn't call for her and, and she risked her life to not just plead for herself, but to plead for others. That must have stuck out to him. And so he must have thought, well, if this guy who saved my life raised you, and you turned out great, he's a guy I can trust. I know I can trust him. And for, for Xerxes to just be so readily to trust somebody else after coming to, to the realization that Haman betrayed him, it must have been impressive. Have you ever been betrayed? Does it take a while to trust into somebody, trust somebody else after somebody totally turns on you? But here we see Xerxes is like, hey, go ahead. You're going to be second in command. I'm going to give you my ring. <clears throat> I trust you completely. Man, what, what amazing. In this story, that's different because yesterday they were a condemned people. 
Today, they're raised up. However, they are still condemned. Let's continue reading here. We're going to see just undeniable perseverance. Here, undeniable perseverance. Let's read um, verses, well, verse 3. And we're going to talk about how even though Haman was dead, his plan survived. The decree that, that he had written, it didn't die with him. It kept going. So let's read verse 3. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. See, right, the wicked witch is dead. The, the evil man is dead. But what he did still continues on. Sometimes we think if we just get rid of a person, then that's it. But is what we do, does it survive us? What we do, does it affect future generations? Yeah, it does, whether it's good or bad. And here we have an example of evil Haman, who he's, he's gone. He's, he's not in the picture anymore, but what he did is still there. And Esther sees that. She knows that. And while she may be okay, and Mordecai may be okay at this point, not everybody is. And Esther shares her concern. Verses 4 to 6. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight... And if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of um, Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Do you see what Esther did here again she risked her life again because we see here she pleaded before the king and what did the king do he held out verse 4 he held out the golden scepter and we learned that from from previous chapters that that was customary if she approached him and he didn't hold out his golden scepter she would have died and so here Esther's just going back and back and back risking her life time after time which is different because the first time that Mordecai asked Hester to risk her life to approach the king, was she willing to do it? Mm-mm, she wasn't. She was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I like my life. I'm, I'm the queen. I, I don't want to die. I'm not going to do it. But through her growth, she realized, you know what? It's better to risk your life to do what God wants than to live in fear. And so at this point, she just does it. She, she is so much more bold today than she was before. And we see how much she cares for other people. At the beginning, she cared about herself. She wasn't willing to risk her life because she cared about her own. But now, even though she's been blessed and, and even though um, Haman's edict is still in effect. 
she was probably safe because, okay, the king knows. If you know that you can, you have the ability, you're legal, it's legal to kill the king's friend, are you going to do it? No, it's probably still off limits. Yeah, it's legal, but you're probably still going to get in trouble for it. So Esther at this point was probably fine, was safe. Mordecai at this point was probably safe. But what about everybody else? They weren't safe. And Esther was very concerned for them. Let's read what Xerxes' decision is, verses 7 and 8. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. See here, not really sure what's going on in Xerxes' mind, but he says, hey, I took care of Haman. I don't really want to get involved in all this. You do it. You know, and he realizes this is the second time that he's, he's giving permission, passing off the, the responsibility to somebody else to take care of, of his problems. Because that was the thing, and we've talked about that with, with edicts, you know, and the, with the Persian law. Once it was made, it was final. So he, he can't just say, okay, fine, cancel that edict. He couldn't. As powerful as he was, he was still held under Persian law. So, he, and he's like, I already did, I did what I could. You do it. Whatever you want to do, just do it. And maybe at this point, he's like, Esther, come on, you keep asking me over and over and over again. Has somebody ever come up to you, just, they just keep asking you over and over, and you give them bits and pieces, but they, they're not satisfied. They want the whole thing. And Xerxes is like, finally, like, okay, fine. What else? <laughs> what else do you want? Just do it. Just go for it. So let's see what happens here. Here, next, we're going to read about the unbeatable resolve. And we see, we're going to read Mordecai's decree, and we're going to talk a little bit about it, about how it's different than Haman's decree. So verses 9 through 14. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of, of Sivan, on the 23rd day, and an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and the governors and the uh, officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script and their, own, and their language. And he wrote in the name of, of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, 
a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all, the pe to all peoples. And the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers, mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command. And the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. All right, so we see here that Mordecai uses the same language, such as um, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate. But the difference was now the Jews could defend themselves. Before, the Jews couldn't defend themselves. Persians could come in and just attack you, and you were, you were defenseless. So not only could they defend themselves, but let's say I'm a Jew and, and you don't like the Jews. You come and you attack me. Not only can I attack you and kill you, but your family, and I get all of your possessions. Wow. Okay, that's a little different. And it's interesting, too, here that it says, you know, including women and children. You know, that sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? not just the men, but the women and children. But thinking through this and, and in warfare, do some countries use, you know, women and children to fight? I mean, that was a big thing in wars, specifically children. And how hard was that for, for soldiers back then, where you had to, you had to do things that just aren't right? You know, it's one thing men, sh men killing men, right? I mean, we're used to that. That's just whatever. Maybe we're just numb to it. But killing children? That's, that's wrong. You know, we, we have our, our levels of wrong here. But I think that helped to deter, hopefully helped to deter, say, hey, you know, maybe wives were like, hey, husbands, don't go out because if something happens, you know, our family's at stake. You your wife, your, your children are going to be killed. So it was, it was all inclusive in that. You know what else is interesting? I don't know if, you're, if you counted, but when was this edict signed? The third month? On the 23rd day? Do you know how many days previous the Haman's edict was signed? Seventy. Seventy days to the days. Now, if, now we're not going to get into it, but if you're into numerology and just numbers in Scripture, does 70 days have any significance? Yeah, it does. And so it's interesting that the, that the Bible points out, because to the day, it's 70 days. Interesting how that happens. And again, this was, this was throughout. We talked about their couriers, right, how they spread, because they didn't have email. They couldn't just type it up and, and post it on their, on their page. They used horses. And it's interesting, right, people here, some of you have horses. Now, now when you want your horses bred, right, you want it bred by a good horse. And do you pay money to have your, your horse bred by a fast stallion, right? And racehorses are that way. Oh, you know, you got to get it because you, you want the best of the best because of genetics there. And the king had his stallion, the best horse. 
and they had horses bred from that horse. And so their system, these horses were fast, strong. And what they would do is, is they started in a central location in Susa, and it spread out, and they would go to their destination, and then the riders, right, would go to another horse and rider, and the message would go out, and it would just spread out. It was a great network so that everybody knew. And this was seven months prior to when the day would actually happen. So there's still plenty of time to when um, Haman's edict would come into reality. And, um, yeah, so it's just a different edict. Didn't change it, but used the same wording and said, you know what, now the Jews can not only defend themselves, but they can go on the offensive and attack you if you attack them first. If you don't attack them, you're, you're fine. They could only attack people who attacked them first. It's kind of like that eye for an eye mentality. You attack me, I can attack you. And then let's read about the Jews' celebration, verses 15 to 17. It says, Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many of the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Did the city of Susa respond differently to this edict? than the first edict? Do you remember how they responded to the first edict? Remember? Confusion. The edict came out, and everyone's, in, everyone's confused. Like, why? What's going on? What did the Jews do? If you were a Jew, what did I do? Like, what's going on? This time, um, Mordecai's edict comes out, and they're celebrating. They're like, yes. This is great. And everywhere it went, people were now excited for this. And when it says here, at the end here, um, that many of the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, you know, just trying to figure out what that meant. Did, did a lot of people just turn to Judaism? That's a possibility. It could mean that um, they also, they just now supported the Jews. You know, they're on the bandwagon. Oh, you know, let's, because they saw all this. And, and if you saw the beginning of, of Esther, how much hope was there for the Jews at this point? None. And then you have this other edict, which was just so brilliantly written, because you like, how can we get out of it? That they saw there's a bigger power at play here. And so that's chapter 8, but we're not done, because... As, as going through this chapter, and just going through this book, in fact, going back to Esther, the person, and how she cared for others, and she risked her life for others, it really got me thinking, would I be willing to do that? Or am I selfish? And in regards to Christianity, you know, there's destruction that's coming. 
right? It's, it's going to come to people. If, if you die and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's coming. But how many of us as Christians were saved, right? We're good. It's like, it's like there's two ships. Christians are on one ship. The ship's well built. It's, it's traveling fine. And here we see everybody else on another ship, and it's sinking, what are we doing about that? Are we on our, our ship and saying, man, I'm glad I'm on this ship. I'm just going to focus here on this boat. They're on their own. Or do we really care about those other people? And what are we doing to get them from that ship onto our ship? It's amazing, right? People are sick, people are dying, and it's, you know, yeah, it stinks, but it's how it is. But then something happens to me. Now I'm the one who's sick. Now I'm the one who's dying. Is it a big deal? It is, and that's, I'm not here, I'm not trying to say, oh, you guys are just terrible, horrible people. Because I'm selfish too. The Bible says we are selfish. There's a reason that God tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because does he need to tell us to love ourselves? No, because we already do it. We take care of ourselves. We feed ourselves when we're hungry. We clothe ourselves when we're cold. If, if we're sick, you know, we'll do anything to make ourselves feel better. But what do we do when someone else we know is, is sick or hungry or tired? Do we go out of our way to help them? You know, we love electricity. It blipped this morning for, for a minute. But when you have electricity, it's great. Life is great. When you don't have electricity, it's the end of the world. It is. Oh, no, your device is dying. Your batteries are all dead. What do we do? But there's people out in this world who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And who are we like? Are we like Esther at the beginning of the story where she's like, you know what? I'm not going to risk my life. I'm happy where I'm in. I, I'm content where I'm in, where I'm at. Or are we going to be like Esther later on and risking our lives to save others, to save those in need? It's a daily challenge because I'm comfortable where I'm at. I'm comfortable just spending time with people I know. And I'm glad that I'm saved. I'm glad I'm on the boat. Is it hard for me to reach out to others and say, hey, where are you at? What boat are you on? Do I really care about other people to get them on this boat? Where should we be as, as Christians, even as a church? So many times we're just so self-focused on, on what we have and, and we just, our heart doesn't go out, doesn't bleed for other people when it should. We, we like what we want. We, we, we enjoy what we enjoy. But as I was going through this, this book, this chapter this week, it's just, that's what really hit me in, in Esther. Like, man, time after time, she, she risked her life again and again. And when somebody risks their life for you, 
you're grateful. And that is something that we can do for other people as well. It's hard. It's scary. Does it scare anybody to tell somebody else about Jesus? It's scary. Do you think it's scary for me? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes I come up with all sorts of excuses as to why I can't or as to why I shouldn't. But is that what God wants us to do? Does he want us to keep his word a secret? No, he doesn't. He wants us to share his word, to share his, his love, his truth to others. And so that's something I just really want to challenge you today is like, are you self-focused? Are you others-focused? Can you imagine? Like, this change happened just with two people who were focused about other, others. Can you imagine if we cared more about others than we do ourselves? Is that something that's going to happen overnight? Probably not. Would it be awesome if it did? It would be fantastic if it did. You know, we have these prayer requests and that get shared. You know, if you're not on that list, get on that list. You can talk to, to Rachel. You know, she'll put you on the list. Find out what's going on with people's lives because are there people hurting in this world? Yeah, all over the place. And, and we need to be praying for one another. We need to be caring for one another, helping one another out. So let's close in a word of prayer.